Hello, this is Pastor Rob Barber of Bethel Church in Tempers Plains, Ohio, where our mission is connecting people to God. I'm very excited to share the Word of God with you today because I believe God's Word is a powerful weapon designed by the Father to set the captives free. I trust the Holy Spirit will anoint this message and it will personally minister to you and set you free. God bless and enjoy this message. As we kick off this new year and we prepare ourselves with prayer and fasting and we get ready for what God is going to do with us and through us for this year, one of the things we're going to need to do is we have to deny ourselves sometimes. That's what prayer and fasting is all about. Denying our flesh to increase our spiritual, spiritual aptitude, our spiritual senses. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He feared because there was a great enemy that was about to attack. And Jehoshaphat knew who to turn to. He turned to the living God, so he proclaimed a fast. He proclaimed a fast for all the people. And that's what we're doing at this time of year. We're proclaiming a fast for everyone. You have the option to participate. You know, nobody can force you to fast except a doctor who's going to do something, you know, give you a, some kind of an exam. Sometimes, you know, you have to fast. But no one, you know, that's not what this is all about. It's not about, oh, we're going to put condemnation on you if you don't participate in this. No, this is about willingly participating in an exercise that this church is doing so that we can all draw, draw closer to our, our Heavenly Father. And that we can have ears to hear. You know, Jesus said this often in His preaching. They're dull of hearing. They don't have ears to hear. Did, was it because they were deaf? No. They were spiritually deaf. And one of the ways that we can keep from being spiritually deaf is through prayer and fasting. So as we look at this, I, I want you to, to know how important it is to, for us to, to be um, corporately involved in this time of prayer and fasting. I, I saw this little bulletin that a church... Had, uh, posted uh, in regards to a prayer and fasting conference. And the announcement said the cost of the attending fasting prayer and conference includes meals. Now, if you're going to be eating at a prayer and fasting conference, I uh, wonder how serious you really are about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is something that we need to be very serious about, especially in this time that we live in, in the things that are happening in our nation and our world. We need to be crying out to our God. In 1863, during the Civil War, the then President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of prayer and fasting. In his address to the, to the nation, he said this, the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. 
It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, talking about God, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Wouldn't it be awesome if the President of the United States would look around and see the things that are going on in our nation and proclaim a day of prayer and fasting? If national leaders... Governors, even local civic leaders, proclaim a day of uh, prayer and fasting. You know what happens? They're they're laughingstock. The national media makes fun of them. The atheistic society that we live in do not understand the power of prayer and fasting. They're ignorant. They're ignorant to the reality of the power of God. What we need are leaders who will stand up and say, let's pray and fast because it could very well be that we're under the judgment of Almighty God right now. So I say to you this morning as we prepare ourselves for this time of prayer and fasting, Search your heart. Search your life. Cry out to the living God. We'll talk a little bit more about what needs to be done in regards to fasting. The first thing I want to talk to you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to go through some of the scripture there. We're going to begin with the first verse. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 through 3 is what I'm going to read to you. Verse 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Tell my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob, their sins. So first of all, it's very important that we recognize that there's transgressions and there's sins. God told uh, Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. So it's really important that we recognize that maybe there's some things in our heart that needs to be dealt with, some things in our lives that need to be dealt with. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They seek, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. So there are certain things that need to be done in our lives. We need to recognize that taking advantage of other people is not something that God uh, just takes lightly. He's talking to a whole nation here. And And I believe we can apply this to our nation as well. Thousands of people are being taken advantage of for the benefit of a few. There is so much deception going on in our nation right now. You don't know who to trust. 
You know, I hope that there's a few politicians out there that can be trusted, that they really do want to do what is right for our nation. But my goodness, it's hard to sort them out. What I see mostly is people who are out for their own good and their own benefit. Fill their own pockets for their own pleasure. Almost all of our political leaders have been compromised in some way. Either financially or sexually. And in many cases, both. How is it that a, a politician can go into his first term just a normal, everyday person, and after serving for, for a period of time, a few years, ends up being a, a millionaire or a billionaire? What is going on? Can't tell me that they did it legally. Because we know this insider trading stuff is ridiculous. But that's the benefit of being a part of the system. Thank God I'm not a part of the system. The only system I want to be a part of is the system in the kingdom of Almighty God. And the power of God. I want to say to you this morning, fasting is not a religious exercise. It's a spiritual discipline. It's undertaken with humility. When we enter into this time of prayer and fasting, you humble yourself before the living God. And you cry out to Him. Make no mistake, fasting alone does not move God. God's not moved by your fasting, by, by you giving something up. The only thing that I've ever seen that moves God, there's two things actually. Repentance, it moves Him on into moving on our behalf in regards to salvation and keeping us on the right track. And the other thing that moves God is faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And those who come to Him must believe that He's a rewarder. Can you imagine that? He wants to reward you if you come humbly to Him. Those who seek Him who search after Him, who chase after Him. God's not listening just because you deny yourself of something, some food or some drink or something in your life. Fasting is intended for the individual, each and every one of us, and then corporately, for us to examine our lifestyle, our relationships, our motives, and our service to God. It's intended for us to have an introspective uh, time of looking at our own hearts and trying to find out is there anything? We've got to be like David, where David said, Search my heart, Lord, and see if there's anything in there. Is there anything wrong? Search me. Look at me. I'm crying out to you, God. Search my heart. I want to know. I want you to know. You know, I, I am I'm so um, easily deceived by my own self that I have to have God to reveal those 
crevices in my heart where the darkness is. Once a year, well, let's go back. I almost left this out. When Jonah was sent to Nineveh, one of the the greatest cities of his time and probably the most decadent city, he preached repentance to them. He warned them of the coming calamity. God promised that in 40 days after he preached to them that he was going to bring a calamity on the city. And that's what it says in Jonah 3, 4. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is one of those prophetic utterances that God was warning the city, and it could be changed if people would humble themselves before God. God didn't want to destroy Nineveh. God didn't want to destroy at the temple in Jerusalem, when Babylon came and, and destroyed and took the city, he didn't want to do that, but the people refused to cry out to God. There was a little different outcome in this situation. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. That was a, a normal behavior when they were fasting in those days. They put on uh, burlap like clothing to be uncomfortable they wanted to make themselves as uncomfortable as possible and they'd throw ashes from fires on themselves ah that's a horrible to be that uncomfortable wearing burlap and having ashes all over can you imagine what it's doing to your skin rubbing you but they felt that it was absolutely necessary that they deny their self of any physical pleasure as they sought after God. From the greatest of them, the king, to the least, they all fasted and prayed. And because of that, God heard, and the word of God says he repented. He, he decided not to send the calamity because of their repentance. You see, sometimes when prophetic utterances brought forth into uh, our lives, into the church, into an individual's lives, the, uh, whether that thing comes to pass or not depends on the, the, uh, the behavior of the individual. God's not bringing judgment on people without first giving you a, a warning and an opportunity to change your direction. And sometimes he gives us a prophetic utterance as a good thing, and we decide not to follow after the thing that he wanted us to have. So sometimes it, it is based on our outcome, and I've talked about that a little bit before. Listen to what Jesus told the Pharisees about fulfilling religious ceremony, because I want you to understand what we are doing is not a religious exercise. It's not a religious ceremony. Jesus said this about going through the motions. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus is saying, yeah, there are certain things that we should be doing. Tithing, Praying, fasting, 
reading the Word of God, all of these are spiritual disciplines that are necessary for the life of a believer. But to do these things and leave out mercy and justice and goodness and doing good and, and, and meeting the needs of those who are, are in poverty and reaching out to, to people and, and being kind. Kindness is so important. If we do all these religious exercises, Paul said, I can have faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. So what he's telling us here is that we can go through the motions. And if we, all we do is go through the motions of this exercise that we're going to be doing as a church, and we leave out all these other things, Jesus said, now I, want you, I don't want you to be mad at me because I didn't say this. Jesus did. He said, you're a hypocrite. Pretty strong words. Once a year, for 40 days, before Resurrection Sunday, millions of people began participating in something called, something called Lent. Lent is a solemn religious observance and it's a liturgical exercise that a lot of liturgical churches uh, participate in. It commemorates 40 days uh, Jesus spent fasting in the desert uh, and during the temptation. And it, it's leading up, of course, to the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, uh, what is referred to many times as Easter, but we know it as the proper name, Resurrection Sunday. Vast numbers of people participate in Lent in some way. It's a really a popular religious exercise every year that people get involved with. Many of those people, all year long, live lifestyles very contrary to the Word of God. And yet, they're going through this religious exercise and religious motion. This is what Jesus was referring to when He talked to about to the Pharisees and called them hypocrites. Having the appearance of religion, but denying the real power of it. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, Jesus tells us why we should fast. Then the disciples of John came to Him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but you and your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is telling us the purpose of this spiritual discipline of fasting is to draw close to Him. When He was present with His disciples, they didn't need that. He was right there with them. But now, Jesus is no longer in our presence physically. He's spiritually with us always. In fact, Holy Spirit lives inside of each and every believer. We're very close to Him. But in order to spiritually draw closer and draw upon His power, fasting, that's what He was teaching us here. Fasting, is that's what it does for us. Now, fasting from a 
purely biblical perspective, and, and of course I'm talking about this from a, uh, as a group exercise. Fasting from a biblical perspective is abstaining from food and sometimes water for short periods of time as well. In the Hebrew, there's two words that are, are rendered in the Old Testament, sum and som. Both refer to abstaining from food. In fact, Isaiah 58.3 uses both of those words in that text. In the New Testament, the Greek word nestu, it means to abstain from food. Uh, So what I'm sharing with you here, and I want you to understand, is that uh, from a biblical perspective, a fast has something to do with abstaining from food. However, there are times that God has spoken to individuals in this congregation uh, to fast something other than food. We've had uh, people or fast just a particular item uh, of food in their life. Um, Or fast things like television or social media. Uh, That would kill some of you, I, I realize that. You know, whatever, here's the thing. I want you to hear from God. If God's telling you to do something, do it. Fast that thing, whatever it is. If it's a food, you know, a few years ago, uh, Billy was, uh, he felt like God told him to fast coffee. And he loved coffee. And he said after the fast, he tried to drink coffee, and it tasted horrible. I don't think, you haven't drunk, had a cup of coffee since then, have you? No. You haven't drink coffee anymore. He's delivered. <laughs> a few years ago, my friend and uh, part of this congregation, Randy Falks, was fasting. And I, I hope I have this story uh, correct. But he was participating in our fast. And he felt that God told him to fast television. Now, you have to understand, Randy is a big sports fan. And during the time that we were doing the fasting, uh, I think it was probably around the first of the year, uh, maybe it was basketball playoffs were going on. Um, So Randy and, of course, football also were talking about the um, Super Bowl coming up. And the playoffs are going on and Super Bowl. So this time of year, we were all fasting. And he felt like God spoke to him to fast TV. Now, just fasting TV may have not been a big deal. But fasting TV and not getting to watch the sports that he so much loves to watch was a big deal. It gave him the opportunity to draw closer to God. So my, my point here is that I want everyone to understand it, it, it really is between, it's an individual thing. It's between you and your God, our God, uh, that He wants you to do something that is obedient to His voice as He speaks to you. Second thing I want to deal with this morning, move along with this real quick, God's not impressed with your fast. Isaiah 58, 4. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast 
you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it the, to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Should you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? In other words, God was not pleased with their fasting. They're giving up food, their sackcloth, their ashes, uh, because they were not living the lifestyle that he had called them to live. God's not impressed when you give up food. He's not impressed when you give up television or even Facebook. He's not impressed if you throw your iPhone away for this fast. You're not impressing God you're doing that the only thing that's going to impress God is that if he speaks to you to do that and you obediently follow his leading that's what he's impressed with in Hebrews eleven six, it tells us that God without faith it's impossible to please God and we know that we know that this is true. So faith is what really moves God. And as we go through this exercise of faith, I have found when I fast, my faith grows. Proper fasting heightens our spiritual senses. And of course, faith is one of those spiritual senses. It allows us to have ears to hear. In Romans 12, 3, it says... For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more high, highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Every one of us has been given a measure of faith. A small amount of faith. Now, the Strong's gives this definition of a measure. An apparently primary word, a measure is literally or figuratively a limited portion. So everyone gets a limited portion of faith. According to this scripture, we get this limited portion of faith. I believe that's enough faith to believe in the Son of God. To bring us into salvation. By the blood of the Lamb. And if I understand this principle correctly, it's our responsibility responsibility then to use that faith once we are our believers in Jesus Christ to increase that faith in Romans 10 Paul teaches that our portion of faith is given so that we can hear and respond to the gospel but we also know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So I believe that same principle applies to our growth, our, 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 our faith growing and becoming stronger in our life. God's Word is a faith builder. That's why it's so important that we read His Word, that we internalize His Word, that we memorize Scripture. I also believe that prayer and fasting increases our faith. In Luke 17... The disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. And I was always baffled by this until I really started doing some study on it. Because it seemed like he didn't talk about how to increase their faith. But he really did. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the smallberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to them, 
him when he has come in from the field. Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward, you shall eat and drink. Does he think that that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Jesus is telling us, you're going to increase your faith by doing what he tells you to do. To, to um, apply his word in your life. And if we walk by faith and not by sight, we're increasing our faith. One of the things he commanded us to do was fasting. And in Matthew 6.16, Jesus gives us the proper behavior for fasting. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their face that they may appear to men to be fasting. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. Now, here's what I want to point out. Jesus said, when you fast. And the Greek word here literally means when. That's what, what it's talking about. Jesus didn't say, if you fast, if you choose to fast, if you want to fast. Jesus makes it perfectly clear. He has an expectation that every believer is going to fast and draw closer to Him. The statement here just carries with it the expectation that you'll fast as part of your spiritual discipline. Fasting is one of those things that will just help increase our faith. When Jesus' disciples were confronted with a demonized boy, they were unable to cast out that demon. Jesus rebuked them and he said, it's because of your faith. You have little faith. And then he tells them how to increase their faith. In Matthew 17, 21, so that they could cast out demons like this. Do you realize that there are uh, different levels of demons the disciples had cast out many demons before leading up to this jesus sent them out they've cast out demons they healed the sick and all kinds of incredible things happen because they used the name of jesus christ and yet they came up against a more powerful demon that they couldn't cast out and jesus tells them how to do it he says moreover this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So he gives us a key. We're going to build our faith. We're going to grow in faith. And we're going to be able to confront and deal with any demonic force that comes against us. It doesn't matter how powerful it thinks it is. The blood of Jesus is much more powerful. And when we walk by faith, we are able to confront those demonic forces and cast them aside. When Jesus was baptized by John in Matthew 3.16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. In verse 17, and suddenly a voice 
came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Jesus is our example. And Jesus being our example, I would think that we can see here that Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came down and came upon him. All through the New Testament, we see examples of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes they were filled with the Spirit. uh, Received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When they initially received Christ as their personal Savior. Other times, they believed in Jesus. The day of Pentecost, those disciples all believed in Jesus. They believed that He was the Son of God. They just spent 40 days with Him. Telling them... That he, and teaching them, and then departed into heaven and said, I'm going to come back. Just be prepared for it. So they truly believed in Jesus. Do you think they were saved? Is there anybody out there? Okay, thank you. (laughs) I would say they believed wholeheartedly in the Son of God. They believed in His resurrection. They believed in His death, His burial, and His resurrection because they lived through it. And then, on the day of Pentecost, something incredible happened. Like a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit of God came down upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were so radical. People think we're radical. It was nothing compared to what was going on on the day of Pentecost. They were so radical that people said, they must be drunk. How else could they act like this? You know, when the Spirit of God really moves, the world doesn't understand it. When the Spirit of God really moves, things happen that make even Christians uncomfortable. Especially religious Christians. The more religious you are, the more uncomfortable you become when the Spirit of God moves. But God wants to break down those barriers. He wants to begin to move in an awesome and powerful way. He wants us to allow His Spirit to take control and take charge of our lives. Not only our individual lives, but our lives as a body. That when we come here to worship Him, that we allow Him to be in control. And that's hard for me. I want you to know that. I would much rather be in control. It's easier. If I'm in control, nothing crazy happens. And you think I'm a control freak. My wife's a lot worse than I am. I'm just picking on her this morning. Boy, she's not very, she didn't even smile. She didn't break a smile. Am I in trouble or what? But what I'm trying to say to you is that it's a lot more comfortable for all of us when we feel like we're controlling our own life. But that's the most dangerous place to be is controlling your own destiny. Because once we get into situations and things that we are unable to control, I know some of you are going through some things right now in your life 
you can't control it. You don't have control over this. The only hope you have if, is if a mighty, powerful God that you serve shows up on your behalf and moves in a mighty way. And I can tell you this, He's going to. He's already promised that He will. And He's saying this to you this morning, this very day. Watch and see what I will do for you. Hallelujah. You know, the interesting thing about Jesus going into the wilderness, He received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and He went into the wilderness, and He fasted. He prayed, and He was tempted by the devil. But here's what's so, what is so great about this example and the same thing that, that Jesus um, teaches us or the Word of God teaches us in regards to being filled with the Spirit. And that is that Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. He went out and He fasted and He prayed and He, he, he uh, came out of there walking with much more faith Probably than he ever had. I mean, this is God in the flesh. I, I don't know if I can say such a thing or not without being blasphemous. But it seems that after he was fasting and praying, after his being filled with the Spirit, fasting and praying, he came out and miracles started happening. He started healing. He turned water into wine. He, he started doing all kinds of incredible things. So maybe as our example, maybe if we want to see supernatural events taking place in our lives and in this church and in our community, maybe a little bit of fasting will go a long way. You know, the, for the most part, the church has forgotten the discipline of fasting. And I'm happy to say this church has not. And I, I really appreciate all of you participating in this. But as a result of that, I can see what I see is because we have forgotten the basic disciplines. We've forgotten the discipline of prayer. We've forgotten the discipline of reading the Word of God. We've forgotten the discipline of fasting and praying. And because of that, the church has become anemic and powerless. We can change that. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary and founder of the China Inland Mission. And he said this when he went to China. In Shanghai, I found Chinese Christians who were accustomed to spend time in fasting and prayer. They recognized that fasting, which... So many dislike, which requires faith in God, since it makes one feel weak and poorly, is really a divinely appointed means of grace. Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are apt to lean upon. Lean upon our own flesh. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that your righteousness will go before you. Isaiah 58, 6 through 8 
Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of the wickedness, wick, of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your homeless the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I love that scripture. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. The Lord will protect you from behind. You'll have to worry about the enemy sneaking up on you from behind. You walk with the armor of God. Walk in confidence and faith and power. Walk forward. Don't worry about your rear guard. God's got this. God's taking care of you. In Luke 18.10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood before the temple, the altar, and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector here beside of me. I fast task twice a week. Whoa, he was really religious. That was typical of religious leaders during that time. In fact, it was typical of the early church. Even uh, in times when the Methodist organization was founded, John Wesley believed that fasting was so important that he required anybody who wanted to be a minister in the Methodist, uh, as a Methodist pastor, had to commit their life to twice a week praying and fasting. So it's been a discipline for a long time. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. It's not just going through the motions that God's looking for. And the tax collector standing afar off will not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for humble people who will cry out to him, who will be like David and say, search my heart, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. The tax collector went away. The scripture says he was justified in the sight of God. But not so with the Pharisee. Isaiah 58, 8 says, Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will would protect you from behind. That's why we're doing this. To search our hearts. To ask our God to move. I can tell you this. I believe that a revival is the only hope for our nation. We've done so many ungodly things. We have put into place laws that 
kill the unborn. We have thumbed our nose at God and the sacredness of marriage. We've taken advantage of the poor through things like lotteries and gambling. We've robbed and stolen and abused. Now, I'm not saying we as the church, but as a nation. You realize the world hates us. And they probably have a good reason because of the, the decisions that we make sometimes that are all about us and we don't care about anybody else. But then we act like we care by sending millions and billions of dollars to causes that probably do not deserve it. We need repentance. We need repentance in the church. We need repentance in the nation. My hope, my desire is that we will see a revival that will shake our nation to its very core and change the destiny that I see us headed toward right now. Change it completely. Do you realize how many people have come to the United States, outside of the United States, come to the United States and are preaching a warning to this nation that unless we turn, unless we change, destruction is coming. God has sent evangelists from other nations to speak to us. Most aren't paying any attention. Most think that uh, it's been this way all this time, over 200 years, it'll, it'll continue. There's no guarantee of that. Our blessings have been bestowed upon us because of a group, a powerful group of praying people, a remnant that has served the living God. That remnant is becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. But there's hope. Many times in the past, when it looked like when things were just as bad as they are right now in our nation, when it looked like there was no hope, when it looked like total destruction was coming, the Spirit of God started moving among His people because His people got serious. They started fasting and praying and seeking God. And faith started rising up inside of His people. And because of that faith that rose up inside of His people, the Word of God began to go forth. And lives began to be touched. Hearts were changed. And the destiny of this nation has been changed several times. Turned back to God. It can happen again. I believe it begins with us. With our time of prayer and fasting. I'm going to leave you with this story. I've told you this story many times before. But it's such an incredible story that I like to talk about it. In 1876, in Minnesota, 
during the, the spring, there was a grasshopper infestation. And it was destroying all the crops. The year before that, it destroyed the crops. And this year, it looked like it was coming back. And there was a fear that it was going to just wipe out all their crops. The then governor, John S. Pillsbury, who was a believer in Jesus Christ, proclaimed a day of prayer and fasting on April the 26th, 1877. He urged every man, woman, children to pray and fast and seek God that he would do something about the grasshopper infestation. When the appointed day came, they shut down the schools, they shut down the businesses. Everyone got very serious because their livelihood, their existence was at stake. And they all got very serious about seeking God. The next day began a series of unusually warm days. And it looked like God wasn't going to answer their prayer. The grasshopper larva started hatching. And for three days it was good and it was nice and warm. And they started to emerge. Many of them had come out. That night on the third day, the temperature plummeted, and there was a deep freeze. When they got up the next morning, all the grasshoppers were dead because of the freeze. God moved in a mighty way. This is historical. It can be, you, can, you can check this out. It's documented. It's historical truth. 1877 is when it happened, the grasshopper miracle. God still listens to His people when they get serious about crying out to Him. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Thank you, Father. Glory. If you'd like to have prayer for healing or you need special prayer, Please come up and we'll pray with you. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.